You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Uh, bathroom etiquette, rule number three from the book, In 50 Years We'll All Be Chicks. I had to turn the book over and look at the front cover to figure out what the name of it was. Very sad. Um, author, Adam Carolla. Uh, rule number three. Sounds obvious, but fellas, lift the fucking seat before you piss. When you're in a public men's room and you don't lift the seat, you're essentially peeing on some stranger's ass. It almost makes you gay. The only reason the seat's there in the first place is for those unlucky souls who have to take a dump in unfamiliar surroundings, and you've now compounded their problems by making them have to mop up your piss before they can offload. And I just want to do a little sidebar here. Rick, is it? Yes. The guys who manufacture commercial toilet seats should not leave that four-inch gap in the middle it beckons you. I mean, it sort of becomes like a carnival game where the, you, someone hands you a beanbag and there's a clown with a hole cut out in its mouth and you think, I'm only four feet away, I can get it. But it never happens. You never make it through. There's a reason why the guy handed you the beanbag and you handed him $5. There is the toilet. Now, the toilet seat at home, that is a donut shape. The toilet seat at your, at your work on a commercial on a commercial site or you know at a workplace or you know in a public whatever that's sort of horseshoe shaped almost looks like i don't know one of those bridles or what would what would be what would they put over one of those uh ox carts you know they put that yeah i think over bridle the is ox. a word you know my it's friend not used the to bridle what the hell is that thing but anyway the thing they would slide over the ox and then hook it up to the cart mm-hmm. that thing it, it's horseshoe shaped and you think as a male I have good enough control over my penis and urethra that I can pee in a straight line. And even if I dribble a little back toward me when I'm done, it's just going to hit the rim. But at some point, a wind kicks in or you sneeze or something, and it gets onto the toilet seat. I'm wondering if they just bridge that gap in the front of the commercial seat if more guys would not attempt to do it. You know, I liked your idea too. Later in the book, of the it's brilliant, the toilet seat handle. Oh, oh so my easy! God. Why have they? I have never seen that. Why have they never done it? I, uh, from your mouth to God's ears, Rick. Well, anyway, it goes on. Rule number four. And speaking of the seat, ladies, quit bitching about us leaving the seat up. Yeah, I never did understand this. We take eight pisses to your one. That's true. It takes more energy to lift the seat than it does to put it down. True, they have gravity working for them. Hell, you just have to get it started, meaning once you knock that thing past 90 degrees, gravity just kicks in and does the rest. It'll come down for you. I guess it's the difference between opening a garage door by hand and closing it. Opening it, you'll throw your back out. Closing it, just a little tug on the string and pow, here it comes. Um... Let's see, where was I? Yes, gravity kicks in. Uh, Guys don't like exiting the bathroom with the seat down because it makes the next person who enters think you just took a dump. Ladies don't understand that. Have you ever done that, 
Rick, have you ever done that thing where you did take a dump and then you went, as you were leaving, you went, you know what? I'm going to lift the toilet seat up just so the next person who walks into the bathroom doesn't think I was sitting. No, no. If if I take a dump in the bathroom, people they, know they're gonna they're gonna know. I'm sorry to say, people in in neighboring towns, <laughs> probably yeah, far and wide. Yeah. When you use the toilet at night, it's dark, and you sit down and you sit on the cold bowl, and you've almost fallen in the toilet. And this is the thing that women constantly complain about, which is <laughs> I went into the bathroom in the middle of the night. I thought the toilet seat was down. I plop. Well, turn the light on, sweetie, just like we do. And by the way, here's a tip, and I don't think this one's in the book. I put a dimmer switch. It's a $8 switch. I put one in the bathroom. Now, a lot of people have a dimmer switch in their dining room, maybe in their den, maybe a living room to set a little mood lighting. You don't want it to always look like you know, a night game at Shea Stadium when you're eating your dinner. But in bathrooms, they just use a toggle switch, light on, light off. They don't think about the dimmer switch because people in the bathroom are doing their makeup or brushing their teeth. But when you got to get up at 4 a.m. and take a leak, you don't want to be hit by 110 watts of, of light. Do the dimmer switch. Just turn it on so you get that just enough glow to find your way, you know, so, so as not to pee into the magazine rack or the potpourri basket, but not to, you know, fry your eyeballs and dilate your pupils and wake you up. I'm saying dimmer switch in the bathroom. I should have put that in my, there's a uh, section in the book that has a bunch of tips in it, but uh, either way, uh, I should have put the dimmer switch in there. Anyway, I can't stand reading my own book, so Rick, you take it back. But those are, those are my tips. Sorry for the, for the riff. Adam Carolla is the co-host of the radio and television show Loveline, the co-creator and co-host of Comedy Central's The Man Show, the co-creator and performer on Comedy Central's Crank Yankers, a contestant on Dancing with the Stars, the co-writer, co-producer, and star of the independent film The Hammer, and yes. the host of the top-rated podcast, The Adam Carolla Show. His new book is In 50 Years We'll All Be Chicks and Other Complaints from an Angry Middle-Aged White Guy. Thank you for joining me, Adam. Thank you for for joining me. I think you joined me. <laughs> That's the case, yes. Adam, as I read this book, it's a series of rants of Shakespearean proportions full wow. of profanity, obscenity, insult. Sure. And you come to, I think, when I read this whole book, you come to an overall Shakespearean conclusion. There's one conclusion we can quickly draw from reading this whole book, which is to, and it's right out of Shakespeare, kill all the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I never read before I wrote this book, and so I don't really have any experience with that. But, yeah, the lawyer, I mean, it's funny. All sort of roads lead to the law firms. and But, but, you know, as I write in the book, somebody needs to say it. uh, The lawyers, here's what happened. Here's what happened. And, and it, this is somewhere in the book, but here's what we did as a society with the lawyers. It's, it's essentially what smokers did versus what the NRA did or does, which is in the book, which is, and it's a sad truth, but it's still a truth. Somebody said, you know, 40 years ago, people just smoked in elevators, smoked in operating rooms, smoked in every restaurant, smoked any, every, you know, Jerry Lewis was probably smoking all throughout his telethon. And at a certain point, somebody showed up at the restaurant and said to the smokers, hey, excuse me, 
we have a section for you guys over here. It's the smoking section. So just please, if you're going to smoke in the restaurant, smoke in the smoking section. And all the smokers said, oh, yeah, all right. And they got up and they moved to the smoking section. All right, they didn't care. They're sitting. And at some point, someone tapped them on the shoulder a few years later and said, you know what? No smoking in the restaurant, but you can smoke at the bar if you want to smoke. And the smokers went, yeah, all right, let's go to the bar and have a drink. We'll smoke over there. And they went to the bar. And then at a certain point, someone tapped him on the shoulder again and said, no smoking in the restaurant or the bar. But if you want to smoke a cigarette, you can stand out. Go outside. Stand out front on the curb and smoke a cigarette. And the smokers went outside on the curb and lit up a cigarette. And then someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, Sir, you need to be more than 30 feet away from the door if you want to smoke. And they walked down the street. And then at a certain point, they said no smoking at the beach, no smoking in parks, no smoking in your car with your kid in it, no smoking in your apartment. And the smokers just kept moving on. Now, when they say to the NRA, hey, no, no, uh, we like to outlaw grenade launchers, the NRA goes, fuck that. And then they argue over that for the next 50 years. But they never move anywhere. And we should have done that with the lawyers. When the lawyer started in with all the bullshit, instead of the companies just going, you know what, just do it, just, just, just do it, just do it, they should have stopped and said, this is fucking ridiculous. No, we're not going to do it. Instead, they just went, oh, just do it, oh, just do it. And that's, that's what happened. Like, I, I had a policy where I said, look, I am not going to participate in any of these, every time, you, every, every job I've ever had, well, outside of construction, every regular job I've ever had, at some point you have to have the sexual harassment, you know, sensitivity oh, training. You have to have the seminar. And at a certain point, I just thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm, I'm 46 years of age. Or I probably thought of this when I was 40. I thought I'm 40 years of age. I've been working now for, you know, six to, Jesus, since I was 15. There's never been a lawsuit against me. I have no criminal history. I don't have, I'm, I'm not on anyone's list of sexual predators. Why the fuck do I need a three-hour speech on sexual harassment when, in fact, I've never sexually harassed anyone who didn't have a coming or who wasn't asking for it by wearing a short skirt? But, no, I've never sexually, I, I don't have a history of it. It'd be like me having to attend alcohol rehab classes, but I've never had a DUI, I've never had a domestic dispute, I've never been pulled over and had alcohol in my breath. Why should I? Why should we have to go through this indignity? Now, look, if you in your you know prior places of employment had a couple of run-ins with the ladies, uh, then by all means, you need to be sat down and spoken to. But if you're, it's a whole group of people that have never had a charge leveled against them, and yet we're sitting there wasting our time. So uh, in one of my, my new policy, and, and this is one, and this is where it's our fault, because here's how it should work. Whatever corporation you work for, no matter how big or how small, and whether it's mon pa size or it's jumbo size, when they say we are having the corporate sexual harassment discussion, you know, on Thursday the 17th from noon to 4, Every single person who works there should go, fuck it, not going. You can find me. I'll be in my cubicle working or playing rotisserie football. But either way, I'm not going. And then the boss would go, uh, well, hey, Rick, if you don't go, you're going to get fired. And then everyone would go, well, you'll have to fire all of us because none of us are going. And by the way, you fire me. I think there's a wrongful 
termination lawsuit there. You're firing a guy for not going to a sexual harassment? What, what if you just said, I'm deeply religious and this doesn't jibe with my beliefs? You know, this, is, this is, offends my, my Christianity. Or, again, if you had no history of sexual harassment. So I just said no more. I'm not going. I'm not going to any of these fucking things. And, by the way, look, if you want to fire me, fire me. They never do. They wouldn't. That's the whole thing. That's the whole point. They never would do it. They never will do it. They threaten it, but they don't do it. I did a pilot for uh, NBC, and they said, well, we're having our sexual harassment meeting for the crew and the staff and the writers and the showrunners. Everyone's going to be there. And I said, I'm not going. I'm not going. And they said, you have to go. Otherwise, we won't be able to do it. We won't be able to get insured. Fucking Jesus Christ, really? We won't be able to get insured. I said, I'm not. I'm not going. I'm, I'm not Charlie Sheen, by the way. He, he got the number one star on TV. He's the biggest deviant on the planet. He's fine. I'm sure that I'm, I'm, I'm married with twins. I'll, I'll be fine. They said, we can't do it. I said, I'm not showing up. So have your meeting or don't have your meeting. Either way, I will not be in the room. And I didn't show up. And I thought, good, fine. Took, made a stand. Next day, I went in to work. And they had taken the woman who ran the meeting for the 75 people and just dispatched her to me and said, she just needs to sit down with you. And I said, are you guys shitting me? Really? And I, I said, I don't have this kind of time. We're working on this. She doesn't need any time. She like literally just needs to sit next to you and tell you something. And by the way, the thing that she told me was this hypocritical tale about on Friends, they had, you know, one writer who was a, a female. And, and, and it was a sort of boys club. It was a bunch of dudes. And they had one writer who was a female. And the guys would talk about scenarios involving the different cast members of Friends. And, of course, it would get into that sort of locker room talk and all that kind of stuff. And at a certain point, she, the one female writer on Friends, sued NBC because she was exposed to this sort of off-color conversation that took place in the writer's room uh, amongst these, I'm sure, you know, sexual deviants from Harvard and Stanford and, uh, you know, uh, Pennsylvania. And, and, she, and she, she sued. And so she said, I think at the end of the thing, she said, now, what lesson can we draw from this? And I said, well, don't hire chicks. Because at the end of the day, when you hear all of this stuff and all of the wrongful terminations and all of all this stuff, the only thing you can walk away with is don't hire black people and don't hire chicks because we don't want to get sued. That's it. That's really the message. Essentially, no one no one will admit it, but that's what everyone's thinking. Everyone's just thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, we don't hire a black guy. We can't fire him. We'll get sued. We don't hire a chick. We can't fire him. We'll get sued or we'll just get sued anyway because someone will crack wise in the writer's room so i think this is essentially what it's served to create this horrible environment where you're scared it is not open the door for these people it's made employers more potentially frightened to hire certain minorities and certain people but anyway we have let the attorneys take over but of course the attorneys want to take over that's what they do the point is is we as human beings, as, as employees, as citizens, 
haven't done anything about it. This this warehouse that you're sitting in right now, sorry, I'm getting over a cold. Um, a guy had this, when I bought this warehouse, there was a guy who had a business and he was running a, a carpet and flooring sales out of this out of this warehouse and he had about a year left on his lease and I you know I couldn't kick him out just because I bought the building I I just became his new landlord and I said to the guy uh what he got left on your lease and he said he had about 11 months left on his lease and I said well you know I'm interested in taking over and putting my cars in here and working on this place so whenever you're ready to leave you tell me and you're gone. I'll t- I mean, I'll tear up the lease, you know, whenever you're ready to go. I'm not kicking you out. I'm not rushing you out. But, of course, I'd like to take over this building that I just purchased. I didn't buy it to rent it. I bought it to move in. Unfortunately, there's a guy renting it. So whenever you're ready to go, tell me. I'll take over. And uh, about four months later, he said uh, he found a new place. He was going to buy it. He wanted to move out of here. He was going to leave his lease about six months early. And I said, fine, go right ahead. And he said, I need that in writing. And I said, uh, I told you when I bought the place six months ago, when you're ready to leave, you could leave and I'd tear up the lease. And he said, yeah, but I got I to gotta protect myself. And I said, you're protected. I gave you my word. And I intend to stand by it, just like, just like I told you four months ago. When you're ready to leave, you're ready to leave and you can leave. And he said, yeah, but you understand I got to get it in writing or, you know, I just not re- willing to risk it because I don't want to leave and then have you sue me for the next six months of, of, of the rent. And I said, hey, look, I told you you could leave and I meant it and I'm not signing any paperwork. So here's the deal. You can stay for another six months and pay rent or you can just take me at my word and leave. But I'm not going to sign a document. Because I don't want to give a lawyer another job. I don't want to give, I don't want another tree torn down and pulp made for another useless piece of paper to cover an ant, cover someone's ass. I'm an adult. You're an adult. We're both gentlemen. I gave you my word. Now move on. And he said, he did what, by the way, is what they all do. He said, well, I don't know. I couldn't do that. And then, of course, 12 hours later, he said, all right, see ya. And he left. And it's the same thing. When people film at this warehouse, they film at the warehouse, you know, they go, can we come to your warehouse and shoot whatever? And they shoot and then they go for like my show. And then they go, we need you to sign this location release. And I go, no. And they go, well, we can't use the film then if we don't, if you don't sign the release. And I go, good, don't use it. And they always use it. So the point is, is three quarters of the goddamn time, you don't even need to do it. It's just this, oh, we're going to get fired. We're going to get sued. You're not going to be able to use it. We're not going to get insured. Bullshit. Call their bluff. Call it. They ain't using it. Three quarters of the bullshit in our society where they go, here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen, it never fucking happens. They're just bullshitters. So at least start calling them on it. But if we unite, if we just had, I wish uh, John Stewart would have some rally for dignity, but we just start telling lawyers, no, no sexual harassment seminars, no diversity seminars, none of the bullshit we have to take at work. Let's just fucking rise up, just as citizens, and just go, no. Now, it took me 26 minutes to answer your first question. <laughs> <laughs> Only 44 questions to go, people. Uh, don't worry about this. I got enough to, for about four hours of audio on here. So Sure. <laughs> now, I, I have to ask you, at what point 
and it must have been somewhere time just before you uh, co-created The Man Show. Were you performing comedy or writing or probably doing both at once or taking a dump or doing whatever that you twigged to the imminent threat of the pussification of America? Um, it's always been, it's been something that's been sort of slowly creeping up on me and these like little bits and pieces of, you know, as a guy who's a carpenter, I have a lot of people, you know, asking me to do simple things around their house and, and uh, a lot of like, I remember Dr. Drew said to me once, he was late for Loveline, maybe he was five minutes late, and he apologized for the radio show. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, I got a flat, so I had to call AAA, so I was held up. And I said, couldn't change your own flat, huh? And he goes, well, now I called. I just, you know, I'm a member of AAA, so I called them. And I said, well, where'd you break down? Where'd you get the flat? And he said, in my garage. I said, well, what do you mean, in your garage? He said, well, I just came out, and the tire was flat. And I said, you called AAA to put the spare on that was in your trunk? And he said, yeah. I said, the AAA guy came to your home and took the spare out of your trunk and put it on to your car? And he said, yeah. Why? And I thought, oh, my God, we've lost it. Could you imagine your dad, any, anyone's dad, anyone, anyone, from the, anyone from, you know, that generation that stormed Normandy? calling some service for some guy to come take open the trunk pull it out of the trunk of the car and put it while it's parked inside of your well-lit garage so and, and and not only that there was no shame factor there at all he took it in stride he wanted to know why why i questioned it and then once you have kids and you know you get the note from school saying that uh you know it's a nut-free zone and there's no peanuts or cashews, and then I took. Did you my, really get one of those notes? I got one of those notes. Jesus, I, I, it's, yeah, it I, sounds hypocritical, but it's true. I, I, I took, I took my kids out trick or treating a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. and every third door. This is in Hollywood, of course, but you know this wouldn't happen in Iowa. But every third door, when they open the door, the concerned woman on the other side of it asked if there were any peanut allergies before she distributed the payday bars or the, you know, the peanut butter cups or anything like that. I mean, really, peanut allergies <laughs> on Halloween. Now, uh, one of the things that I thought was, was interesting was when you were talking about um, the, uh, the, the school bus and, and seatbelts, because this is something I've just never understood. Yeah, is why they make us wear seatbelts everywhere, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But no. then they'll have a busload of kids without seatbelts. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you, you notice it when you have kids, again, that, you know, well, first off, the thing in your car, uh, by the way, I love screwing with the system. So the first thing I did in my car was have all the chimes removed. Uh, <laughs> Meaning, I don't need a buzzer going off to let me know my car door's open. I can do that math as I'm being sucked out of it onto the road. I, I don't, and I got, you know, just 
all that, you know, if you don't buckle, you know, it's the kind of thing where I wear my seatbelt, but sometimes I'll get in my car and be backing down the driveway and I'll be putting it on as a backing down, but hearing this chime go off, you know, nonstop. So I got rid of all the chimes, just basically reprogrammed it so I didn't have to hear any of that bullshit. The other thing I did was I still have my cardboard dealer plate on there. It's not a dealer. I mean, it just says McKenna Audi on there and it's cardboard and you get pulled over a lot less when you have those. You don't have to have a front license plate. If you don't have a front license plate, you can't get popped going through an intersection with the cameras in it. And uh, that's why that once you, you ever curious why in LA they're so goddamn concerned about you having a front license plate Mm -hmm. and why all of a sudden they're very concerned about it. It's because they need the revenue from the intersections with the cameras in it. But if you don't have a front license, if you don't have the rear license plate on, and I am so proud to say, when is this going to air? Uh, sooner rather than later. I'm going to podcast it next week. I am, uh, so what are we talking about? Middle, middle end of uh, November? Yeah. My four-year car lease is coming up in the middle of December. So I got about three weeks left on four years of car leasing. And if you go out and look at my car, you will see a cardboard, a cardboard dealer license plate where the license plate should be. And I've made it, almost made it all the way through the lease without ever bolting on my actual license plate. And it saved me from uh, uh, the, the, the greatest and I'll answer your question in a second as soon as you rephrase it because I can't remember. But the, the greatest moment in my life, uh, in sec, I mean, above the birth of my twins, is I was driving down Santa Monica. I was driving down Wilshire in Santa Monica, and I saw a motorcycle cop come in the other direction. It was just him and I sort of alone, middle of the day on Wilshire. I was driving one way. He was driving the other. He passed by me. I could see him glance down and see I had no front license plate on. He passed by me, and then I saw him in my rearview mirror hook a U-turn. And when a motorcycle cop passes by and then hooks a U-turn, you're getting pulled over. Because motorcycle cops give out tickets. Guys in cruisers sometimes do, but motorcycle cops, that's what they're there for. They're there to raise revenue. And um, I saw him hook a U-turn. I saw him then look at my temporary cardboard dealer plate and then turn and go back the other direction and by the way i'd been driving the car for well over a year and had the metal license plates in the trunk at the time and uh i all i got to say is f you santa monica (laughs) you guys are stupid and i would ask everyone just to leave everyone should leave here's what everyone should do everyone should leave their dealer plate on and eventually you'll get a fix-it ticket that says uh, no front license plate. And then you can put your plate on. And then you can go right back home and swap them back out again. I, I know it sounds maniacal, but it's us against them. They started it by putting up these traffic light tickets, start these cameras and strobe lights at in, in intersections and handing out a bunch of chicken shit tickets under the guise of safety, which, as we know, they don't give a shit about. They're interested in raising revenue. So that's what they do. And just to let you know, how really interested in safety they are. All this shit about clicking her ticket and getting a fine and raising the fines and slowing down in the cone zone and getting your kid all buckled in. And then you get into the school bus and it's the only vehicle on the planet that doesn't have a seatbelt. It's the one that transports the 40 kids to school with the you know older chick with the cataracts piloting the thing. So really, 
if, if I was making this argument to an alien culture going, we are very, very, very obsessed with children's safety in this culture, all, all a Zorbak from the, from the Landau planet would have to do is go, well, no, you're not. You don't have one in the bus that's used to transport the kids. You don't have a seatbelt in that. And he'd rest his case. It's very easy. So are, are we interested or aren't we, I guess is my question. I would argue no, because there's no seatbelts in school buses. And by the way, no headrest either, at least in the old ones. They just had that basically a bench. So you get whiplash. Well, I mean, if you look at the highway fatalities, I mean, it's, it's a massacre on our highways that dwarfs any of the recent wars we've been in, dwarfs the drug wars we've been in. in sure. In Mexico, I mean, well, that's what I, I, I've been saying. I've said it's it's one of these conversations I just had with my wife, which is, and it's another thing I can't figure out because we have these causes, you know, celeb cause celebs and de jours where it's like we get very interested in this that doesn't mean jack shit, but we don't get interested in things that are more important. Which is, I told my wife, look. I've been through a couple of driver schools, a couple of intensive, serious driving schools, and I do some amateur vintage racing and, and that kind of stuff. And I've done a lot of racing and a lot of driving schools, and a lot of stuff. And I know how to control a car when it's out of control because I've been in that position a lot where it's, it's broken loose, it's sliding, it's sideways, it's what have you. And I said, you know, you're so worried about the kids drinking the filtered water. You're so worried about them eating their organic eggs. You're so worried about them not drinking out of plastic cups and all the other bullshit that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. You want to know the way these kids are going to buy it? They're going to get their learner's permit when they're 15 and a half or 16 years of age. They're going to go out onto the open highway with a bunch of other idiots that don't know how to drive, and that's how they're going to buy it. They're rich white kids. It's not the stupid filtered water. The municipal water is fine. We've been drinking it our whole lives. Nobody's dropping dead. This is just part of the brainwashing uh, with the paranoid parents to sell, you know, multi-billion dollar a year industry known as bottled water. But yet, so you have these parents. Kids got to wear a helmet. Kids got to be buckled in like uh, Lance Armstrong or, or I should say Neil Armstrong. Woo. Neil Armstrong, when he gets into the car, kids got to have all the best and all the safest and all the everything uh, His whole, you know, like I said, all the organic this and all the filtered water, that and all the everything. And then what happens? He turns 16. They give him the keys to essentially a 5,000 pound weapon. The kid has uh, about 15 minutes experience behind the wheel and the kid kills somebody or themselves. Send the kid to a two-day driving school. Send the kid to a one-day driving school. You know, spend 175 bucks. Send the kid to some Bob Bondurant, whatever, defensive driving, whatever, up in Willow Springs for one weekend. One weekend, get a break on your insurance, and teach the kid how to handle a car when it's in a slide or, you know, evasive driving maneuvers or just generally how the car works. The one thing, the one thing all these rich-ass, overprotective parents with the kids with the peanut allergies and the whey allergies and all this shit, all the hen-pecking and all the protecting and all the everything, the one most important thing, none of them will do it. 
not not even come up, not even interested in doing it. Don't you find that insane? Well, it, it's indicative of right of what you call the pussification of America. We are focused on the minutia, the the needs of the single. This is another thing you point right. out. Generally, we 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 worry about the one kid in a million who has a peanut allergy and his throat's going to close and right. cut off the peanut butter for the entire school. Sure. Yeah, we're worried about the one kid. And it's a weird thing we do when people go, you know, like, well, yeah, but not all. Like, you know, whenever you talk about any group, someone's going to tell you, well, not all of them are this way or not all. And I'm sure not all termites eat wood, but you still don't want termites. And all I'm saying is is this whole argument of like, uh, you know, I get into this. People make the worst arguments in the world. Like I I was getting a bunch of crap from Glad, who's – there, that is the worst name for an organization ever because it's the most pissed off group of people you've ever met. The most dour, self-important, serious pack of jackasses you've ever met in your entire life. They call themselves glad. It's like if Al-Qaeda called themselves happy or something. It's insane. <laughs> so they're just a bunch of damaged goods and a bunch of super pissed off guys that aren't going to rest in, until everyone apologizes to them over nothing. But I, I uh, had, did, did an interview where I said, uh, listen. All things being equal, all things being equal, if I was to have my twins raised, if something should happen to me and my wife and I had another couple raise my twins, I would prefer that they be heterosexual. Now, if there was a gay couple in the running and the gay couple made more money, lived in a better neighborhood, had a better school district, or maybe just had a minivan with an extra airbag or two in it, I'd give them over to the gay couple. But all things being equal, I'd give them to the heterosexual couple. And uh, Glad has now branded me a heretic for this, uh, for this really? discussion. And, yeah, and they want an apology. They do? Yeah. I, that's... Uh, well, by the way, here's my apology, Glad. Fuck you, number one. Uh, I'd say blow me, but you'd enjoy that. So screw yourself. Uh, number two... Don't argue with nature, asswipes. I love the fact that they're like, and I'm talking to someone about it, and they're like, well, okay, you're entitled to your opinion. And I said, my opinion? It's not my opinion, you idiot. It's nature's opinion. Jesus Christ. I'm not even religious. I don't give a shit. I'm just talking. I understand how nature works. We're no different than any other species with the mommy and the daddy. And this whole fucking argument of, well, why does the mama polar bear stay home and the daddy has to go out and hunt for seal. I don't know. That's the way it is. I don't know how you can argue with the way it is. It's it's weird. Only recently in this society do we start arguing with just things that were. That's just the way it is. Mom, my my wife is is better with the kids than I am. That's the way it is, and I'm better at making money and repairing the house than my wife is that's the way it is and yeah you can bring up an example of a couple where the dad stays home and the wife goes out and works and yeah you can bring up an example of a great gay couple and a heterosexual couple that's strung out on methadone yeah i understand that but i'm just talking about not the extreme but the norm and somehow we've gotten away from that And when these assholes make their arguments, they go, oh, so you'd rather 
your kids be raised by crack-addicted uh, heterosexual hillbillies than a loving, rich, nurturing gay couple? And I said, now all things equal. That doesn't mean hillbilly versus David Geffen and his partner. That's all things being equal. The heterosexual couple is better for the kids. And Jesus Christ, am I taking crazy pills? I got people arguing with, with me. And like I said, I have straight people going, well, he's entitled to his opinion. <laughs> what the hell happened to us? Really? And are they that scared? Is everyone just that freaked out? Can't have an opinion anymore? And by the way, it's not an opinion. It's the truth. It's nature. Will David Geffen adopt me? Hmm. Baby, if you're listening, David, just just let the phone ring once. Hang it up. That'll be that'll be the uh, our, our secret code, and I'll move out that night. All right. Uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about in here, and this is all all of a sudden become very pertinent, is uh, in your chapter on the minimum wage and the gilded cage and the guard shack and the whole guard phenomenon. And this has just become extremely personally pertinent to anybody who might have to go to an airport. Yeah. Because first off, there you're going to be you're going to be asked to walk the x-ray plank sure. so that they can have a nice picture of you naked and they can sure. share it with their friends and sure. your wife. Sure. Or if you don't do that, they're going to uh, feel you up. And there was a, do you know about the guy, don't touch my junk? Yeah. Well, again, you know, first off, the terrorists have won. I absolutely. Mean, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Al-Qaeda, if you're listening, I don't know if uh, – if they're if your your iPod or your uh, podcast is big in that community, but I'd imagine there's a handful of sleeper cells that are listening right now. No need to blow up another plane or train or bus. No need to take down another building. You've won. Go to any airport any day. See the woman who looks like Sandy Duncan's mom. You know, disrobing in front of some guy with a wand, and you'll you've won. See the people with their bottles of wine that were given to them as gifts by friends when they were traveling, throwing them into the garbage can because they can't make it through the security with it. And see everyone taking their shoes off and their belts off. See everyone being patted down. See everyone walking through the millions and billions of dollars of equipment you forced us to purchase on your behalf and realize you've won. You've won. You've, you've ground things down to a, a nub We all have to get to the airport an hour and a half earlier than our parents had to get there. You've won. You're you're costing us billions of dollars a year, and you don't have to get off the sofa. Well, we no longer have freedoms left for for them to hate. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, what do you hate us for? We're just standing in line taking our clothes off with the rest of the world. Now, you talk about the airport in 2010, and – one of the things I think was very interesting was your observation that somebody, uh, a photographer, a paparazzi could easily just go pursue a t- uh, Bridget Fonda to take a picture, but right. they couldn't take a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Well, I, it dawned on me that if a guy just stood under the Brooklyn Bridge and started filming it, at some point, somebody in a windbreaker would take that camera away from him. Oh, absolutely. And this is a big deal these days. And also... The thing that I find ironic, you know, if you ever turn on TMZ, is you have the poor celebrity, and they're walking through the airport, and there's the guys, you know, holding the camera and walking backwards, which, by the way, 
potentially dangerous when you think about every every eh, eight out of ten pieces of luggage has wheels on it now. It's being dragged behind a guy who's drunk and jet lagged, and you have another you know people bending over and getting their luggage and handling their kids and tying putting their shoes back on after security, and you have a guy just usually morbidly obese guy walking backwards, <laughs> talking to Bridget Fonda and. He's just talking the whole time, and he could easily trip over a, a you know some Asian businessman who was tying a shoe and crush the guy's entire family. But the idea is the part that drives me insane. The 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 airport, uh, as I've stated in the book, is a civil liberties free zone. There's no you don't get to go to an airport and have a guy you know a guy go take your shoes off and you go you know what. I, I, I don't feel like I need to take my, oh, well, okay, then that's fine. No, you'll get tackled or thrown off or what have you. I mean, the airport is one big rule, and the first rule of the airport is sort of, hey, people that don't have business here shouldn't be here. I mean, you couldn't go to the airport with no camera and just start hanging around and have someone go, eventually someone go, what are you doing here? Are you picking someone up? Or are we driving a cab? Or you just go, no, nah, just cruising. Checking it out, looking at luggage, making the scene. They got pretty good chilies on the other side of security. I was thinking about it. The guy, you'd be arrested. Why are these photographers who obviously have no business, they're not going anywhere. They're not getting on a plane. They're not picking up anyone. They're not part of the transportation industry. They're not part of security. They're not part of anything except for they're on essentially public property and they're filming people without a permit. It's another thing. Like when we would do the man show, you couldn't just go to the airport and start filming. You got to pull a permit. You couldn't just go on a city sidewalk. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go down to Melrose and go, I'm going to do a man on the street bit without a cop coming by and wanting to know where your permit is. You can't just shoot places. You need a permit for the city. These guys just walk in the airport and stand around the airport shooting people. And we can't put a law on the book. Somehow this would be like burning the Constitution if we said, hey, no, no fat guys wearing black vests get to stand around in the airport. It's insane to me. Well, you know, it, it's also um, it's also insane that they don't cut in. It's also insane that they get to use the likeness of George Clooney, but George doesn't get any money. Doesn't get the profit from it at all. I mean, it's like. The idea that they get to capture celebrities, and it'd be one thing if they didn't run commercials. But these shows, whether they're websites or TMZ or whether on websites or television shows or whatever they are, they have advertisers. They go out and wait outside of Alec Baldwin's apartment in Manhattan. He comes out. He tries to hold his jacket up. They film him anyway, and then they run it, and then they run commercials. But Baldwin doesn't get paid for it. Does that seem peculiar? Does it, wait, we don't have laws against that? Uh, no, I'm sorry, my friend. You're a celebrity, so all of a sudden you lose our sympathy. But here's the thing that's crazy about it. It's like, yeah, I'm a celebrity. And if you want me, pardon me, Rick, but if you want Rick to do your commercial, it's going to cost you 20 grand. And if you want me to do it, it's going to cost you 250 grand because people recognize me. I, it, that's the way it goes. I, I don't understand it. It's, it's totally backwards to me and totally insane. You have a show in TMZ or any of these shows that stars Johnny Depp, that stars George Clooney. You have a, 
you know, primetime television show that stars all bunch of A-list celebrities, Matthew McConaughey and whoever, except for you don't pay them one cent ever. And there's nothing they can do about it. And by the way, if Alec Baldwin comes down his driveway and you're filming him and he says, give me that video camera, I don't want you showing it, profiting, then he'll be arrested. It's an interesting society we've crafted for ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think this is part of this, what you describe as an X kind of starting back in the 1950s when men and women, women stayed at home and did did stuff and men went out and did stuff. And right. we've been creeping up that X. Now it's kind of the other side of the... We're crossing. We've crossed. Yes, yes. And then as we cross, we get further apart too. Now... Uh, I, I'm thinking that uh, in 2012 you should be running for office. <laughs> I, obviously, uh, you you understand the, the recent election. Uh, everybody, it didn't matter how raving, drooling, foaming at the mouth, crazy they were. If they said, "I'm going to take a message to the fat cats in Washington," a yeah. whole lot of these very crazy people got elected. Yeah. Well, it's sad, and I and I have said on many times that I think I could win an election just by saying I'm going to send a vote for me sends a message to the fat cats in Washington, and then I would say from from Wall Street to Main Street, a vote for me sends a message to the fat cats in Washington. It's insane to me that politicians have the balls to stand up on stage and go from Wall Street to Main Street. Like, oh, that is so fucked out. Please stop saying that, you hacks. Uh, but at the end of the day, from Wall Street to Main Street, um, the process, the entire, the whole process of basically whoever spends the mo- most money wins does not sound very democratic to me at all. And I don't even think they should be allowed to run television commercials. Do you? No. And no, the they're... commercials have taken over the airwaves. And who the hell knows what to believe, especially with the props? They're insane. Like, they don't even have anything to do with the actual prop anymore. They just show some guy dumping, you know, nuclear waste into uh, a school that works with special needs kids. And the guy says, well, well, thanks to Prop 19, we can go ahead and do this now. And then they both laugh and light a cigar. And then you find out Prop 19 is there because uh, they want to bury you know, they want to bury electrical wires to get rid of some of the telephone poles or something like that. Like, it have nothing to do with dumping toxic waste into preschools. But I don't even know what the hell to believe anymore. But I do know that you being able to afford more commercial time uh, and then you winning. So I've always said, look, I'm a box of detergent. You're a box of detergent. Maybe you're a better box of detergent than I am, but you have way less money than I do to advertise. Who's going to sell more detergent? All I need is a cool colored box and a whole shit I'll outspend you 10 to 1 on commercial ads. And believe me, they'll move more of my product than your product. And that's what it comes down to with politics. And that sounds like anything but the democratic process to me. There should be no television commercials there should be no commercials in general there should only be debates and if you want to learn about the candidates you got to go to the library and read up on them which i wouldn't do by the way and then everyone says to me well now you're going to get a lot of people not voting and i say good would you rather just a shitload of 
ill-informed people have been staring at a guy with the most commercials go goes out and votes or would you rather have you know a significantly less number of super well-informed people go out and do it i'd rather have a significantly smaller number go out and vote you know one of the things you point out too in the book is that uh we're always worried about making America better, but that better is really relative. I mean, things are pretty damn good here, and compared to the rest of the world, sure. Do, uh, <laughs> well, that's what I always want to say. Like all these asswipes that uh, essentially hate this country, I always want to know compared to what? Compared to what other nation? I mean, when there's a tsunami or an earthquake, who they come? Who, or someone gets trapped in a mine or a well? Who they come looking for? It's not like, well, and they never, you know, it's, and by the way, when something happens to us, when Katrina hits us, we don't go, hey man, where was Mexico when we needed them? Where was Rwanda? No, we know those, those countries aren't going to do shit, but when something happens to them, everyone looks at us and goes, hey, what's up? I mean, you know, hey, uh, they got rid of all, all my mom's hippie friends, got rid of the DDT, and now they got mosquitoes, and now they got malaria back in Africa, and everyone's looking at us. Hey, where are those mosquito nets? It's like, what do you? What's everyone always looking at us for? I thought we were the assholes. We're you don't like us, right? Go go make some fucking mosquito nets. We talking to us for? What, what, I don't understand. What which is it? One of the things I thought that was interesting about your book was this idea of you know the bumper stickers, mm-hmm. and, and what it made me think of is that when we look at these bumper stickers, they're not there. We don't want to read them. The people who put them on the cars don't want us to. They, 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 are not going to convince us. Yeah. I, mean, I think bumper stickers. They ought to put them on the inside of their windshields. It's for them. For well, them. not only that, but it's just like when you pass a bunch of Priuses with a coexist bumper sticker all parked inside the Gelsons in Santa Monica. Who's that for? That's not for the other people that are at the Gelsons in Santa Monica. They're not out you know they're not involved with ethnic cleansing that bumper sticker needs to be sent to the middle east and sent to parts of africa and sent to many other nations except for we get the message we're 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 not into that shit other cultures are into that you just putting that bumper sticker on your car is just a way of you sort of patting yourself on the back, on the bumper, if you will, and letting the world know what a great humanitarian you are, even though you never leave the friendly confines of Santa Monica. I've been speaking with Adam Carolla. His new book is In 50 Years, We'll All Be Chicks. Thank you for joining me, Adam. Thanks, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.